Alright, first grade parents, welcome back to Raise Ready Kids, where month by month you master the strategies you need to raise kids with the knowledge, skills, character, and purpose they need to thrive. I'm Bill Jackson, founder of Raise Ready Kids, and your host this month. This month we're talking math, and how, with the Raise Ready Kids Math Immersion Strategy, you can set your child up for success in this critical domain. Before we get to the strategy, though, I want to ask you a simple question. What is math? The language of numbers, procedures for solving problems, or perhaps a difficult subject in school? There may be truth in all of these definitions, but I'd like to encourage you to think about math as a language for making sense of the world, a language that includes both procedures and concepts. The better you can understand and speak this language, the more you can make sense of the world and create value for other people. If you want to build a house or a car, you have to understand the loads and stresses on different parts so you can make sure things don't fall down or fall apart. You need the language of math. If you want to know how the human body works, you need to understand the concept of diffusion or the way substances move through cell walls. Once again, you need the language of math. If you want to be able to compete for most high-paying jobs, you need the language of math. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the top 20 jobs with the highest median pay all require advanced or applied math skills. If you want to make good everyday life decisions, you need the language of math. Should you buy this small or large size detergent? Should you buy or lease that new car? Should you vote for the new school bond measure in your town? And just like you might enjoy speaking English or Chinese or any other language, you might love the language of math, the language of patterns, logic, and proofs. Math might be valuable to you because it's beautiful and fun. So math is a useful and sometimes beautiful language. How might you help your first grader learn to speak it? Well, let's say you wanted your young child to learn to speak a particular foreign language. Imagine you were fluent in a language other than English, say Spanish, and you wanted your child to be fluent in Spanish, what would you do? You'd immerse them in Spanish, of course. You'd speak to them in Spanish morning, noon, and night, and they would begin to understand the meaning of the words in context and in the moment. You'd use the word leche instead of milk when pouring your child milk. They would understand the meaning of leche in relation to the taste and color of milk. To make Spanish more attractive to your child, you'd look for opportunities to have fun with it, Perhaps you'd exaggerate the rolling of your R's or emphasize sounds your child finds funny. You'd try to share the delight of speaking Spanish with your child. And a few years later, your child will be well on their way to understanding and speaking Spanish. Of course, you could also get some Spanish language books, sprinkle them around the house, and read them aloud to your child. With your help, your child would begin to make sense of the words on the page. The more words they knew, the more they'd be able to read on their own. A hundred books later, your child would be well on their way to reading in Spanish. Now let's come back to math. If we think of math as a language, could you immerse your child in the language of mathematics and have them pick it up, similarly to how they would pick up Spanish if they were immersed? I think you could, and you should. Like other languages, math is best learned in the context of everyday life. Just like other languages, it has its own delights to explore and appreciate, its special sounds and silly rhymes. Just like other languages, 
it is best learned by doing. And just like other languages, it can be written as well as spoken. If you were a fluent Spanish speaker, would you teach your young child Spanish by making them conjugate verbs or drilling them with worksheets or flashcards? Of course not. That thought wouldn't even occur to you. It's ridiculous. It would be obvious to you that the best way for your child to learn Spanish would be to use it in real life together with them. Same with math. You want to draw your child into math as a tool for understanding and communicating, not some kind of bizarre subject that they only encounter in school. Bilingual parents who teach their children second languages don't do so primarily because they want them to do better in school. They want their children to be able to communicate and build relationships with people in that language. They want them to enjoy the power and delight that comes with operating in that language. It's the same with math. The last thing you want to do is to make your child think that math is drills and exercises. And the reason to do math is so you can do well in school and get a good job. Rather, you want to invite them into this language as a way of understanding and engaging with other people, one that helps them make sense of the world and appreciate it in powerful ways. Now, I understand you might have an objection. How can I do this, Bill, if I'm not fluent in math myself? Yeah, I get it. You can't immerse your child in Chinese if you don't speak Chinese. How can you immerse your child in math if you're not very good at it? I have two answers to that question. First, if you're saying you're not very good at math, you're probably thinking about the more advanced math domains like algebra or trigonometry. Maybe your skills are rusty there, or maybe you were never much good at it. But you don't need any of that stuff to immerse your seven-year-old in math. Can you add, subtract, multiply, and divide with some fluency? Do you sometimes find yourself curious about interesting patterns on leaves or in fabrics? Do you sometimes enjoy numbers-related games and puzzles like Sudoku? If your answer to any of these questions is yes, you're in the zone. You have the fluency you need to immerse your child in the language of math. My other answer is that you don't need to do all the work yourself anyway. You can cheat in a way by creating a mathematically rich environment at home and letting that environment do a lot of the work for you. This is part one of this month's two-part math immersion strategy. I call it Mathy Environment for short. Remember when we were talking about what you'd do if you wanted your child to learn Spanish? You'd buy a bunch of Spanish language books and sprinkle them around the house. You can do the same thing with respect to math. Kids love to play with things and they're constantly discovering and making meaning by messing around with whatever is around them. So you can give them things to play with that naturally draw them into exploring mathematical ideas. Common things like blocks or Legos, wooden or cloth shapes in multiple colors and sizes, beads, nuts, bolts, and washers of different shapes and colors, and jigsaw puzzles. Also, if possible, see if you can get some more sophisticated objects in the house, like Cuisinier rods, which are sets of colored sticks that teachers use to help teach basic mathematical operations. Tangrams, which are a kind of puzzle consisting of seven flat shapes called tans, and a Rubik's Cube, which is a kind of challenging 3D puzzle. Children's play with building and Lego blocks in the early years has been identified as one of the key reasons for success in mathematics all through school, writes Professor Joe Bowler, one of the world's leading experts on mathematics education. 
the spatial reasoning skills that come from playing with blocks are foundational for mathematical understanding. Researchers have found that boys often have more highly developed spatial reasoning skills, maybe because they spend more time playing with blocks when they're young. Whether you've got boys or girls, Bowler suggests, provide them with anything that involves moving objects around, fitting objects together, or rotating objects. They're likely to do all sorts of mathematical things with these objects on their own initiative. Playing with these kinds of things, they're learning math through immersion, the same way they learn other languages through immersion. A critical point about what kids are going to do with this environment you create. They're going to explore their own ideas. Professor Bowler tells a wonderful story about when Harvard education professor Eleanor Duckworth was working with a group of seven-year-olds. She had a set of 10 drinking straws cut into different lengths, and as part of an experiment she was running, she was planning to ask the kids to sort them by length. Before she could make this request, a kid named Kevin saw the straws and said, I know what I'm going to do, and proceeded on his own to organize the straws from longest to shortest. Kevin's learning was all the greater because ordering the straws was his own idea. When you set up a mathematically rich environment at home, you're going to get oodles of this kind of learning as kids naturally discover patterns and relationships while they're playing. And bonus, you're also fostering a valuable mindset in your child. I have my own interesting ideas worth exploring. They'll think to themselves, this is the mindset of adults who successfully notice and solve real world problems. It's exactly the mindset you want your child to have. So creating a mathematically rich environment at home is part one of our math immersion strategy. Part two is playing games and puzzles that involve mathematical reasoning. I call it mathy games for short. Compared to math worksheets, verbal games and puzzles engage more of your child's brain and do more to cultivate mathematical skills. Here's one called the rabbit puzzle that Professor Bowler shares in one of her books. A rabbit falls into a well 30 meters deep. The bottom of the well is not where she wants to be, and so she starts to climb out. When she tries, she discovers that after going up three meters, she slips back two. Frustrated and tired, she stops where she is that day and resumes climbing the next day with the same result, three meters up, two meters back. If she keeps up this pattern every day, how many days does it take her to climb out of the well? Are you thinking 30 days like I did when I first did this puzzle? Well, that's not quite right. Think about it some more. And then there's the two jar puzzle, also from Professor Bowler, a harder challenge that might keep you and your child busy for a while. Let's say you have a five liter jar, a three liter jar, and an unlimited supply of water. How can you measure out four liters exactly? Go ahead and take a few moments to think about this challenge yourself. If you're like me, you started by visualizing ways to pour water from one jar to the other. I mentally filled the three liter jar with water and then poured it into the five liter jar. Does that help? I asked myself. What could I do next to get to four liters in the big jar? Then I realized that if I could get one gallon into the big jar, I'd have the answer because I could easily add three liters to it with the three liter jar. But how to get one gallon into the big jar? After some messing around in my mind, I figured it out. 
fill the three liter jar and then dump it into the five liter jar and then fill the three liter jar again and dump it back again. But alas, it won't all fit. There will be one liter left in the small jar. Then dump all the water out of the big jar and pour the one liter into it. Refill the three liter jar and dump it into the five liter jar that already has one liter in it. Voila, we've got four liters. When I was a kid, my dad gave me these kinds of challenges all the time, in the car on the way to school and at home in the evening. Sometimes I could solve them pretty quickly. Sometimes I never figured them out. I do remember being very excited when I solved a hard problem and explained my solution to him. This kind of playing and visualizing with numbers, patterns, and angles is a great way to learn how to speak the language of math in a pleasurable and energizing way. The more of it you do, the more familiar you become with the underlying concepts of math, whether you're talking about addition or calculus. Here's another one, the beans and bowls problem, again from Joe Bowler. Say you've got 10 beans and three bowls. How many ways are there to arrange the 10 beans among the three bowls? What if you had more beans, like 12? The first step to getting your child into a problem like this is to get into it yourself. Pull out some small bowls and some beans and start playing in the kitchen in front of your child. Casually share the problem with them and ask if they have any ideas. Maybe they'll get drawn to the problem alongside you. It will happen sooner or later, and it's priceless when it does. Once your child is engaged, you might be able to step back and let them run with it, but don't forget to come back and check in. You don't want your child to feel like they're working for you. Rather, you want them to feel like they're working with you on something exciting. Professor Bowler suggests that as you work on these kinds of problems with your child, you can ask questions that will help them improve their thinking. How did you think about this problem? What was the first step? What did you do next? Why did you do it that way? Can you think of a different way to solve this problem? When they answer questions like these, kids are working through concepts and strategies, not just memorizing procedures. They'll be better prepared to apply their learning and work through more difficult problems because you've helped them build mental models that will transfer into new contexts. Robust mental models, especially visual ones, are a huge help when it comes to mastering more challenging mathematics later. My wife, who studied mathematics in graduate school, describes how she eventually came to be able to visualize calculus problems, something that I have never been able to do. This kind of visualization is also responsible for one of the most consequential scientific discoveries of all time. Albert Einstein's theory of special relativity owes its origins in part to a simple visualization that Einstein began playing around with at about age 16. In other words, mental games are not just fun and games, they can sow the seeds for incredibly important advances. You can promote this kind of conceptually rich mathematical thinking with games, too. Bowler recommends Moncala, Yahtzee, Guess Who, and Blocus, as well as the card game Set. To that list, I'd add Sequence and Mastermind. Get a few of these kinds of games and see what captures your child's imagination. Okay, let's quickly review the Raise Ready Kids Math Immersion Strategy. Part one, mathy environment, is to create a mathematically rich environment at home. Part two, mathy games, is to play games and puzzles that involve mathematical reasoning. The math immersion cheat sheet, linked from the Raise Ready Kids website and from the email that I sent you to introduce this audio briefing, 
includes the names of products I introduced during this briefing, as well as instructions for several of the games. The math immersion strategy is one of the very best ways to help your child learn to speak the language of math. With a little help from you, they'll enjoy the pleasures and benefits of speaking this amazing language for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm.